I found a secret place of comfort and release, a special place of healing, a quiet place of peace, and everyone who dwells there finds rest beneath God's wings. In the shade of his pavilion, new strength he always brings. I find hope, I find grace, far away from the world's embrace. He gives me rest, he keeps me safe. I find his strength, I seek his faith. secret place with every trial he brings my Lord will make a way to strengthen and protect me to seek his face in the secret place. I find hope, I find grace, far away from the world's embrace. He keeps he keeps me safe, I find his strength, I seek his face in the secret place. He gives me rest, I seek his face in the secret place. Appreciate that song. Take your Bibles, if you would, once again. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. You're looking at a couple of different passages of Scripture this morning. So good to see you all here today.
Today I want to talk about the subject of a deeper faith. A deeper faith. Our theme this year is led by faith, not driven by fear. We've talked a lot about faith this year. We've talked a lot about the subject of faith. So what is faith? What is the definition of faith? What's a good definition? And I'm asking just to think about it. What is faith? What's a good definition of it? If you were to go to the dictionary, you'd find that this definition, I'll share it with you. It's um, allegiance to duty or person, fidelity to one's promises, sincerity of intentions, acted in good faith, uh, belief and trust in and loyalty to God, belief in traditional doctrines of a religion, firm belief in something for which there is no proof, complete trust, or something that is believed especially with strong conviction, especially a system of religious beliefs. That's a lot there, a lot of definition to that word faith. But, you know, when it comes to understanding what a word means, I, I think the best place you could go to find a definition of what we're talking about today when it comes to faith is from the Word of God. And we see it right here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 1. The Word of God gives us a very easy-to-understand definition of the word faith. Notice what it says. It says in Hebrews 11:1, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would help our, our minds to understand it, open our hearts, Lord, to be moved. I pray, Lord, that we would listen. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would guide us for the message you have for each of us today, Lord. I know you have a message for us. I pray that we would hear it from you. I pray, Lord, that you would give me the right words. What I pray that you would help us to have a deeper faith, help our faith to grow. What I pray that we would not be driven by fear, but be led by faith. Lord, that we would better understand it today, perhaps, and to apply it to our life in the practical sense. Lord, help us to be strong in you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are many people, when you talk about faith, I've talked to many different people, people you've witnessed to, people maybe you talk to, even maybe even family or friends, they say that they have no faith. No faith. I have no faith. I'm an atheist. I'm agnostic. I have no faith. You know, that's just not true. Everybody has faith. There's not anybody that walks the face of this earth that doesn't have faith in something. And most often we think about having faith in a higher power. And I, we'll get to that in just a moment. But I want you to just think about the subject matter of having faith in something. And I want to share with you that every one of us have faith. As a matter of fact, we exercise our faith every day. And everything that we're doing, we're exercising our faith. We're doing it all the time. Like, for instance, how many of y'all had to set an alarm clock last night so you'd get up this morning on time to be in church on time? Anybody like that? Raise your hand if you did. I did. I'm, my alarm clock went off at, at 6 o'clock this morning. I woke up at 4.30. I hate when that happens. You know what I'm talking about. But, you know, we set that alarm clock, and, and you have faith to believe that that alarm clock's going to go off and wake you up. Anybody ever had set that alarm clock and had faith to believe it's going to go off, and it didn't go off? Yes. Yet you still set it, though. You still have faith in it. What's wrong with you? No, I'm just kidding around. I mean, we're putting our faith in such a thing as an alarm clock. I mean, you think about just the simple things. How about this one? You pay your electric bill, and when you walk over and you flip the switch, what do you expect to happen? The lights to come on. There's some faith involved in that. Believing that it'll happen. Substance of things hoped for. I want the lights to come on. The evidence of things not seen, right? I mean, we, we want the lights to come on. How about this one? 
And if anybody wants to claim that they don't have faith, I mean, we're just giving simple illustrations. How about this one? When you got in your car to come to church this morning, you were exercising a great deal of faith. Do you realize that? You really were. I mean, you got in your car and you drove 90 miles an hour to get here on time because your alarm clock didn't go off, right? You had a lot of faith inside your car. And, and there's a specific thing I want to talk about when it comes to your car. Let's go ahead and put that picture up there. You see that right there? Now, I know what that is, and probably a lot of you don't know what that is, but there's somebody here that knows what this is. A lot of you got your hands right. What is it? Eric? Yeah, master cylinder. That's, that's kind of important when it comes to brakes. You know what I mean? If you have hydraulic brakes, master cylinder is a good thing to have in the car. Right? Now, you put a lot of faith in that, that thing right there. It's just amazing. I mean, you, you just simply thought, well, I'm just going to push my foot down and everything's going to be all right. Right? But you were putting your faith inside a master cylinder. And that master cylinder, you know what's incredible is the fact that that, that master cylinder has, put the next picture up, has these little O-rings that go inside there. and Inside the different parts of the brake system, you have it in the calipers or, or you have it inside the master, the cylinders, brake cylinders in the back if you have drum brakes. And they're using these little, you know, you've got these little seals that are in there. Without that seal, you would not have brakes. I mean, you're putting all your faith in this thing that weighs a couple of grams to stop that vehicle. Some of you are going 90 miles an hour in a 5,000-pound vehicle, and you have faith to believe that when you put your foot on that brake, you're going to stop. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's a lot of faith. We have a lot of faith in a lot of things. And we put our, bra our faith inside things. And so if somebody claims that they have no faith, you say, well, yes, you do. I mean, look... Look at the things you're putting your faith in today. You're putting your faith in that car that breaks. So you're putting your faith in that, the engineer that created that, made that. You're putting your faith into that. You're putting your faith in that approximately two cups of brake fluid that are going to stop that vehicle. You know, and so for those of you that are, are mechanically inclined today, I know I'm not talking something that, that deals with you. I'm just sharing something that I understand when it comes to faith. And I'm sure we could have a lot of illustrations of that, things that we just trust in. I mean, the fact that you're sitting in that chair right now, and I'm not going to say anything about that because... Sometimes putting faith in that chair works. I, I remember one time we had a banquet over here, and I had one of those brown fold-up chairs. You guys like those? If you look, don't you wish we had brown fold-up chairs for everybody who's sitting right now? Don't you wish? No, no. I remember having those things. You had to make sure they were all the way open. If they weren't, if they were slightly open at all, you were taking a chance. And I know, Carolyn, what you're thinking. I can see it. You're thinking that that chair is going to break because of how big I am. I know what you're thinking, Carolyn. <laughs> That chair wasn't quite in place, and I sat down, and that thing folded right out, completely went the opposite direction, and I was right on the floor. Yeah, see, I knew it, Carolyn. I knew what you were going to do. I know you. But, you know, I, I'm having some fun with all of this, but the reality is we are putting our faith and trust in things. But are we putting our faith and trust in God? We'll, I mean, we'll use blind faith to sit on a chair we don't know anything about. We'll get in a car and we'll push our foot on the brakes and a brand new car, don't know anything about it, but yet we're expecting by faith that that's going to happen. And yet there are a lot of Christians that are allowing faith to rule their daily life. Excuse me, fear to rule their daily life. They're not living by faith. They're not trusting in God. They're not putting their faith. I mean, we could go on and on and on about the simple um, examples of the faith that we actually put our trust in every single day. And faith is a part of our daily life. We understand that. So I want to challenge you with the thought about faith in God. What does God's Word had to say, has to say? What does His Word say about faith? What does God's Word tell us about expressing faith in God 
and trusting in God. Well, according to Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3, it says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And this is just one example, but I want to talk about for just a moment before we get into really to the, the main core of this message. There are some people that say that they have no faith. And as I just illustrated, we have faith in everyday life. But do you realize that people also have a basic faith in God? Because God created everyone. God created us in His image. And people can look at, as Romans chapter 1 tells us, can look at creation itself and see that there is a God. There is a portion of faith that God has placed in the heart of every single individual. Every single person born in this world, God has written it on their heart that there is a God. And there is a measure of faith that, when it, it's, that, that is sufficient that to, for that person to be able to believe in God when it's exposed to the Holy Word of God. The Word of God is what causes that measure of faith that's within them then to bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 10, 17, it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so here we see Romans 12, 3, and Romans 10, 17. Here in these two verses alone, are, they're sufficient to fuel every missionary journey ever conceived. Let me explain what I'm talking about. You see, we see in these two verses... We see here that, that every human soul is given an amount of faith, and it is activated by the exposure of the Word of God. And if we understand that to be true, then there's no other compulsion to preach the Word of God to every man, every woman, every child on the face of this earth. People that say that there is people in the world today that cannot be saved or cannot have faith, that is not true to the Word of God. So what kind of faith pleases God? what we're talking about here. What kind of faith pleases God? Well, Galatians 3, 6 gives us some insight into that question when it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. God has given each of us sufficient faith to believe him, to believe his word, to understand his free offer of salvation. And you can be saved today. God loves you. God wants for you to come to know him as your personal savior and we refer to this moment when a person understands this, that faith that, that begins to work in their heart because the Holy Spirit of God is presented to that person. We call that saving faith. Saving faith. We see several examples of this in Scripture. I just want to talk about a couple of them. All of this is laying a foundation. Because to talk about going or, or, or be, being deeper and, and, and getting deeper into our faith and, and growing stronger in our faith, we have to get to the very foundation of where faith begins. It has to start where God has placed it there. Then the Holy Word of God allows us to have a saving faith where we then are then growing as a child of God. We're going to get to that in a minute. But it starts with a saving faith. We see several examples of this. In John 3.15, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says to him that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, go back to Abraham. What was accounted to him, unto him for righteousness? Because he believed he believed God. It was accounted him for righteousness. That's saving faith. That whosoever... Now, it's not just Abraham now. It's anybody. Any person sitting here today, any person across the world today that will believe in Him, they will not perish but have eternal life. In Acts chapter 8, verse 36 and 37, we see another example of this. 
There we see, and as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. Talking about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. They came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. See, we, we have saving faith, and then immediately following, after a person is born again, saved by faith, they then are baptized. We see that here. Another example, Acts chapter 16 and verse number 30. We see here that Paul and Silas, they're, 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 in, they're in jail, and we see here that, um, and it says there, and um, verse number 30, notice what it says, and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Here's the jailer. He's afraid. He's going to kill himself. And now he realizes that he doesn't have to commit suicide, doesn't kill himself, and he asks the question. He believes. He says, what must I do to be saved? In verse 31, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's that simple. Now, once again, as we've been talking about over the last several weeks, we talked about the great I am's of Jesus and talking about knowing him, being a, a, a true sheep and him being the shepherd. It's, it's more than just having head knowledge when you say you believe. It's more than just saying that I believe that Jesus is actually a historical person that walked on this earth. Rather, it's a heart knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that He is the Son of God, that He is the sacrificial Lamb that takes away the sins of the world, that He died for my sin. That's what we're believing in. That is saving faith. The knowledge of believing in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that He died for you, that He paid your sin debt. That is saving faith. And once we received that saving faith, while we've been born again, at that very moment of salvation, we receive at that moment then the Holy Spirit of God. And when a child of God now has the Holy Spirit of God within them, they now are to mature from simple saving faith to a deeper faith. The faith that a mature believer, that, that the, the faith of, of a disciple, it grows. It gets deeper. It gets stronger. It's not the same as when you first got saved. It's continuing to grow and grow and grow and grow. You see, according to, the, to, to God's word, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. According to that, salvation by grace through faith was authored by Jesus Christ himself. He is the author of our salvation. And He is the one that finished it. As He died on Calvary's cross, when He cried out, it is finished, He paid our sin debt. He authored this plan before the foundation of the world. He knew what He was going to do for us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says, For whom He did, know, for whom he did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. Something that he hadn't planned. He authored it before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So for salvation, that we're going to get saved, and then that we're going to walk as a new person, to walk and for our faith to grow. And so here's the question. What is the object of our faith? I go through all of that talking about saving faith, and I want to come now. If you've trusted in Christ your Savior today, what is the object of your faith today? Now, for you to get saved, the object of your faith was the Lord Jesus Christ. The object of my faith today, now that I'm a child of God, is what? What are you putting your faith in? Is it still the Lord Jesus Christ? It ought to be. Jesus said that no one comes to the Father except by Him, 
You can't get saved without the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith is to continue then in our daily walk, putting our faith and trust in Him. And if Jesus is the object of our faith, then what is the fruit of our faith? If the object of my faith, and I'm putting my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the very first fruit is the fact that I become a child of God. I'm born again. That's not where it stops, though. It continues on. It's deeper. It gets stronger. It begins to grow in our life. And so we have the fruit of our faith. So what is that? Well, according to Galatians 5, chapter 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All these things are produced by the Holy Spirit of God that is within us that we got at the moment of salvation. The Holy Spirit of God is within us. These are fruit that ought to be seen within our life. And if you've ever experienced a deficiency of any of these, I would guess it's because you are not dying to yourself and letting the Holy Spirit of God have complete control in your life. By the way, that's a daily decision we have to make. But we ought to see these fruits in our life. And I'm not going to go into the depths of that right now. That's for another sermon. But So I want, to, I want to focus in on this aspect. I want to narrow it down now. We're looking at the broad. We're seeing now, okay, saving faith. Okay, then what? I'm a child of God. Great. Then what? What am I supposed to do now in my life? What am I doing in my life? Who am I trusting in right now? Was it just to trust in Jesus Christ for my salvation? Or do I now trust in Him for everything else in life? Or am I trusting in Him? It's a challenge to us. And if I'm trusting in Him, would there not be fruit of faith in my life? Would there not be evidence of the fact that I have faith and trusting in God? Would God not reveal there be fruit in our life? So what is the fruit of our faith? What is the product of our faith? That's what I want to really focus on today. And I want you to notice, first of all, that our faith should grow and mature with time. Faith should grow and mature with time. However, this is not a given. Just because you get saved does not mean you're going to grow. There are a lot of Christians that have been saved for 40 years and have never grown spiritually. Their faith has never grown The fruit of their faith is not there because there's no growth. They've never gotten deeper in their faith. You see, the maturing of our faith is dependent on our commitment to Christ. It's dependent upon being completely 100% committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, he admonished admonished us in Hebrews chapter 5. I want you to turn there. Turn back, if you would, Hebrews chapter 5. Look at verse number 12. Look at this admonishment that we see here. This challenge. I want you to see yourself in this verse. Where are you at? Where are you at in this verse? You say, I have saving faith. I'm a child of God. Where are you at now? How long have you been saved? How many sermons have you heard? How many church services have you been through? How many times have you read your Bible through? Those are not, I'm not asking those questions because like I did a hundred times, great. What I'm asking you is, how are we seeing that in your life? How are you seeing that in your life? What's the fruit? Look at it, Hebrews 5.12. He says, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Stop for a moment. What's he saying? You've been saved for a few months, a few years. I mean, a set period of time, whomever he's talking to here, talking to the church at Corinth. 
uh, excuse me, talking to the Hebrews, Hebrews talking to people there that have been, been saved for a set period of time. And he says, instead of me having, being able to, to give you something a little bit stronger, you, you should be teaching yourself instead of having to go back and get milk and milk and milk and milk and milk over and over again. F- fighting with the fact of whether you're saved or not. You know, a lot of Christians today, they, they had saving faith. They trusted in Christ their Savior, but they never grow. And they continually are fighting with the temptation of believing that they lost their salvation. And the devil's trying to accuse them of what they've done or what they haven't done. And them saying, well, I don't know if I'm even saved. You've got to go back to square one. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Did you do that? Yep, okay, you're saved. Now, I know I'm oversimplifying that, but I'm just saying the challenge is there's so many Christians today that never get past that. And then you say, well, yes, I have. I know I'm saved. Okay, so who are you teaching? Who are you leading by example? What fruit is there in your life of your faith because you have matured as a Christian? Here we see Hebrews, he's saying here, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. I go right back to the beginning, and I can't get past the first point. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat, for every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. You can't even point in the word of God what you believe and why you believe it. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who are by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, they, they're actually moving on where they, they have a lot of things they understand the right and wrong. They know what it's supposed to do. They know. Verse 1 of the next chapter, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God. Not going back again and again and again and getting under the law and feeling like you lost your salvation. Not going back to the very beginning, but no, moving on into perfection, talking about being mature, maturing. You know, we like the idea of Jesus as our Savior, but unfortunately, many Christians today, they don't like the idea of Jesus Christ as their Lord. They like saving faith, but when it comes to actually Him being Lord of our life, where we are allowing by faith the, to step out and do what He calls us to do and be obedient to the Word of God, we don't get past saving faith. We don't get to the place where He is the Lord of our life, where we trust Him. You see, if He is our Lord, then we will give Him our time. If He is our Lord, we'll give Him of our talents. If He is our Lord, we will give Him of our resources. If He is truly Lord of our life, we'll invest in things that mature our faith. Now, there's times and distresses of life that even people that have small faith, maybe they're saved, they believing faith, they'll cry out to God. And yes, we ought to cry out to God. I, I think of the man there, his son is filled with an unclean spirit, is what the Bible says, a dumb spirit. 
And, and we see in Mark chapter 9, you see that passage there that Jesus is there. The multitudes have come unto him and they're saluting him. They're crying out and he, he has done miracles. His name is known. The scribes are still complaining about him. But there's a man that's there in the midst and they, he sees Jesus Christ and he says, won't you heal my son? I'm just kind of giving you the story, the background of what's going on. And, and the disciples couldn't heal the, the boy's son, the son, the, the man's boy, uh, son, couldn't heal him. And so the, here he brings him to Jesus and And Jesus Christ, he says this. Look at verse number 24. And straightway, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. You know, there's some times in my life when I have to cry out and say, God, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. There's some areas in my life when I don't completely trust God the way that I should when I should. And when we don't, what is it really? When we don't trust God and be obedient to what he tells us to do, what is the real problem? What's the base of the problem? What's the root of the issue? It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith. It's not trusting God. So our faith, we need to understand it. It should be growing. It should be maturing. And it grows and matures by staying close to God through his word, through prayer, constantly immersing ourselves in the word of God by being in church, by by being inside small groups when we're studying the word of God. Wednesday night when we're studying the word of God. By being here at 10 o'clock Sunday morning when we're studying the word of God. And then at 11 o'clock, the preaching of the word of God. It's important that we stay immersed in the word of God. And so we see here that the first thing that we must see that our fruit, our, excuse me, our faith should grow and mature with time. Our faith should grow and mature with time. So stop and ask yourself the question, have you grown spiritually since you got saved or are you growing currently? Secondly, the fruit or the product of our faith should be our love and devotion to the church. To the church. Now, I know it should be to the Lord first. That goes without saying. It ought to be to the Lord, but it ought to be to the church too. It ought to be the church. When I say church, I'm not talking about this building. I love this building. It's a beautiful building, but it's not the same kind of love as my love for you. A lot of things that are nice about this building. When we're talking about loving the church, we're talking about the people that make up the body of Christ. I'm convinced that if we focused all our energies on our faith, there would be such an atmosphere of love in our churches that there would be no petty bickering. There would be no arguments. If we are focusing on our faith, you see any differences that we would have on a personal level become petty when compared to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on Calvary's cross for us. They're so petty. So petty. You say, but you don't know what they did to me. No, I don't. Or maybe I do. And I feel sorry. It's a horrible thing. But the truth is, what we've done to Christ and what he's done for us far outweighs anything that anybody in this place has done to us. The sacrifice. See, we're looking at the wrong things. Our faith is being stunted. We're, we're, we're focusing on the wrong stuff. Jesus said this in John 13, verse 34. He says, The new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. There it is. Person of faith ought to be a person of love. Would you all agree with me today on that? 
One of the fruits of the fact that we are a child of God and we are trusting in God and we have the Holy Spirit of God in complete control of our life ought to be at least the very first fruit of the Spirit of God, which is love. Loving. Love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Okay, so people in the world, they see us. People in the world... They are able to identify whether we truly are a disciple of Jesus Christ by the fact of whether we love or not. Love who? Love one another. There's bickering and fighting going on. Now, I'm saying this. I don't know of any situation that's going on here. This is preventive, perhaps. Or perhaps there's something in your heart that's brewing. Or maybe there's something that's been there a long time. Focus on what's most important right now. You know, 1 John 3.14 says this. Listen to what it says. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Those are some strong words. Now, 1 John is a very convicting book. If you've, well, several years ago, I went verse by verse. We studied it, but I would encourage you, man, read this book. It'll challenge your heart. Over and over again, the, the need for us to love one another. Love one another. That's strong. What's it saying here? That if you don't love your brother, then you're, you're living in what? What's it say? Death. Death. And if we're not loving as we should, there, maybe there's something wrong with who we are. Are we truly born-again Christians? Do we truly have saving faith? He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And if you look at the whole book of 1 John, you'll find out again and again and again and again that if you don't have love, there's something missing there drastically thirdly the fruit or product of our faith will be the expansion of God's kingdom for his glory the expansion of God's kingdom for his glory now this takes on the form of giving giving we give of our time do you realize that your time is the 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 only resources that that is not um renewable it's a non-renewable resource that you have every second that passes you're not going to get that second back again it's the most viable thing you have and we're to we are to invest our time paul said to live is christ we talk about die we understand that part but to live is christ who are we living for what are we living for can we say, as Paul said, to live is Christ? You see, that's a, that is what we ought to be living for. It should be the living embodiment of Jesus Christ here on earth. That's who we ought to be. You see, if that's what's happening in our life, His love for the lost will flow through us. His compassion for the lost will flow through us. His desire to seek and to save that which was lost will flow through us. What is flowing through you? What is flowing through us as a church? If we're growing as we should and we are growing in our faith and we are, we are taking those steps of faith and we are investing of our time, we're not going to be satisfied with warming a seat alone. Christians that come to church, I mean, you could be at church every single time the doors are open, but if all you're ever doing is sitting in a seat what are you doing? 
That doesn't mean that you have to, do, you know, that there's not other things that are going on in different parts of your life. I understand all that. But what I'm talking about is when it comes to seeing the kingdom of God expand for his glory, what are you doing? How are you investing your time to see God's kingdom grow? Is that not why we're here? Is that not the purpose for which we are here? Is that not part of the great commission that God has given to us? So if we're walking by faith and we're growing and maturing as by faith and we are truly a mature Christian, we'd be investing our time to see the kingdom of God expand and to grow for his glory. I mean, it's great that people get saved and don't die and go to hell. That's a wonderful thing. But it's not a humanitarian thing that we're doing. We're doing it for the glory of God. We've got to grab that concept. Because our attitudes change toward people. You ever notice that? There's times when we can love people the way we should, but humanly speaking, there's times when we think, well, they got what was coming to them. (laughs) It's true. And we shouldn't think that, but that is true. We do feel that way sometimes. And when I feel that way, let me tell you what happens to me. I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit of God convicts me, and I think to myself, I don't get what's coming to me. Christ died for me on Calvary's cross. I'm telling you the truth. That's what the Holy Spirit of God speaks to my heart. When I begin thinking that, that too highly of myself, as we read earlier, I think to myself, oh, no, man, oh, God died for me. How I must make him sorrowful at times in my life. And it changes my way of thinking. Living, living a life that produces fruit that is causing us to see the kingdom of God expanded. Expanded, using of our time. When our faith is strong, we will be compelled to go out into the highways and the hedges and bring them in. We won't care what they look like. We won't care where they're from. We won't care what color skin that they have. We don't care what their last name is country they're from, our compelling desire will be to introduce them to the Master, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the one that loves them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so the fruit of our faith will be expansion, the expansion of God's kingdom for his glory. And it starts with our giving of our time. Secondly, we also give of our talents. You know, every one of us, when we got saved, we received the Holy Spirit of God at that moment. And we have spiritual gifts that God has given to us. God has a job and a role for every single person here. God has things he wants you to be involved with and what you're doing and how you're serving There's several different gifts we can talk about. We can talk about preaching, talk about teaching, talk about administration, talking about um, mercies, uh, uh, being a person that helps people in time of need, um, a a person of giving. There's all kinds of different ones. And we can get down to them where the rubber meets the road about the different ministries here at Lighthouse Baptist Church. It might be working in the, the nursery. Praise God for nursery workers that are willing to go into the nursery so a mom and a dad can come sit down and perhaps hear the message of the gospel preached for the first time. That could happen. Or perhaps letting a mom or dad be able to come in and be able to sit without distraction and be able to listen and grow. And and that's just one idea. How about the bus ministry? Praise God for the ability to be able to serve in the bus ministry. Seeing kids get saved. Come to know Christ as their Savior. 
being an usher, doing things decently in order, being part of taking up the, the offering unto the Lord, being here to help people to find a place to sit and, and handing out things to help people know what's going on so we can be in one accord and in fellowship with one another, working together for the common cause of reaching souls with the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, all of those things are important. Even taking the garbage out is important. Praise the Lord. Somebody took the garbage out this week at Lighthouse Baptist Church. Amen. Starts to stink after a while if you don't take the garbage out. And we have fun with that, but the truth is this. Two truths. Number one, you have a gift that God's given you. Number two, what are you doing? How are you using it? What are you doing? You don't have to answer to me. But you're going to have to give an answer to God one day. Are you growing? What are you doing? What ministry are you plugged into? This is not about being retired either. There's no such thing as retirement for a child of God. There's not. Never. Now, does that mean that you're going to be able to do what you used to do? No, obviously. I'm experiencing things in my life. I'm seeing kind of the things, what age does to you. I understand a little bit. I don't understand it like a lot of you do, but I'm appreciating it. I'm ha I have a, a, a respect for you just getting up in the morning and getting here. I praise the Lord for that. But you might not be able to do what you used to do, but are you praying? You could be a prayer warrior. You might not be able to get out anymore and, and, and do the things you used to do, but you certainly can pray. But what about those that can get out? What about those that are able to walk? What about those that are still young and have these years of time ahead of them? What are you investing it in? You'll never get it back. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for God will last. What are you investing your time in? Your talents, the gifts that God has given to you. You see, when you deny the body of Christ, your ability within the body, you reduce the effectiveness of God's plan for the church. If you won't use the gift that God has given to you and He's placed you in the membership of Lighthouse Baptist Church, you are hurting the effectiveness of this church. That's a plain fact. So either you're a little tall or maybe you're a lung, your abilities are greatly needed. Makes no difference. We can use any analogy you want. I can tell you this, though. If I lost my pinky right here, I, I would be, not be happy about that. Right? So what part are you? How are you involved? You see, our giving faith also takes the form of giving our resources, our treasure. Let's be, I want to be clear, very, very clear this morning. God does not need your money. God does not need your money. But if you tithe of what God has blessed you with, then you are acting on your faith that God will take care of you. You are acting on your faith that God will take care of you. The only place in God's word where it challenges you to test him is in your giving. Test him. See if it's true. He says that if you are faithful to give, he will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing on us that we're not able to comprehend. It's not necessarily going to be money, by the way. I have seen God do that with money. God knows what's best to bless us with. You know, simply put, you can't outgive God. You can't. So we say, I have saving faith. I believe that God's taking me to heaven one day. Praise the Lord. I don't have enough faith to believe that God can get me to the end of the month with the money I've got. Now think about that. 
something's wrong with our faith. We're all challenged with it. We all have to go back and rethink it. We have to take take the step once again, whether we're going to trust God or not trust God. I I want you to think about this. Look at it this way. Is there any possession that you own that is worth more than another person's soul? Anything? Jesus suffered on the cross to redeem every soul, and yet sometimes it seems that we value our stuff and our comfort more than we value reaching the lost. Giving to missions, supporting the church. You see, if we're unwilling to tithe on what God has blessed us with, then not only are we robbing God, but we're also showing a profound lack of faith that God is in control and will care for us. I don't know if you remember the parable Jesus told about the rich young ruler. Remember how he came and how that he had been so religious from the time that he was a child and he comes to the Lord. He's wanting to know about you know, heaven, wants to know about this. And the Lord, what does he tell this rich young ruler? Go and sell everything. Go and sell everything. Huh. He had all kinds of possessions. The Lord knew where his heart was at. And he wanted to reveal the fact of where his faith truly was at. And here is a young man that trusted more in his stuff to meet his needs than God. And so a challenge to us, we need to understand that a mature faith gives of our time, it gives of our talents as well as our wealth. Finally, will there ever be a time when our faith is no longer needed? I want you to think about that with me. Will there ever be a time when our faith is no longer needed? It's needed now. We live in a world today, we need faith. Not fear, but faith. But is there going to come a time when we won't need faith any longer? You think about the fact of when that trumpet sounds. Can you imagine being caught up into heaven? Can you imagine being right there before the very throne of God, being able to see Jesus Christ face to face? What a wonderful day that's going to be. Can you imagine being there in the very presence? As the song we sang earlier, it is well. In the fourth verse it says, And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. That day is coming. Our faith will be no longer necessary. Our faith will receive sight. Substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things seen. Not seen. is faith. Seen. We'll be right there in the very presence of the Lord. We'll be right there in heaven. Hey, listen, if we belong to Him, there's coming a day when we're going to experience the sights and the sounds of heaven that are beyond our comprehension. The Bible talks about the streets of gold. It talks about how the walls are built there and, and the, the gates and the, the jasper and the beautiful throne of God. We're going to be able to see all of that. But until that time comes, we must exercise faith. Faith. We all must begin with a saving faith that trusts in our hearts that Jesus is God's Son, the Messiah, that He is the Savior. 
that he died for your sins. Then faith, that faith that starts there within our hearts, that saving faith, then must grow, which means our love and compassion for the lost must grow. Jesus, he looked on the multitude and was moved with compassion. What moves you? What are you passionate about? Faith growing in our life is going to cause our love and compassion for the lost to grow. Our love for our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ will grow as well. So they did something wrong toward you? Be kind one to another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even if God, is, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I think what God has done for me is how he's loved me in spite of who I am and what I've done. I think how the Holy Spirit of God lives within me. I want to die to myself. I want his love to shine in my life. And I can say this, if my love can't shine to my brother and my sister here in this church, how is it going to shine to a lost and dying world? And if they don't see love between us, are they going to see the love of God in us? You see, once our faith has matured, it's going to become a giving faith. A giving faith that glorifies God with our time, our talents, our resources, our treasures. Because we trust God. We have faith in God. And my prayer is that God would help your unbelief. That God would help our unbelief. This man that saw his son healed that day, he said, Lord, help me with my unbelief. On different occasions, the disciples prayed the same prayer. There's many times in my life that I've had to pray. Lord, help me with my unbelief. Where are you at today? You need to pray and ask God to help you. Do you have faith to believe? Are you maturing? Are you growing? Are you compassionate for the lost? Do you see them as Christ sees them? Are you giving? Are you trusting the Lord? Do you have faith to believe that God is in control, that he'll take care of you? How are you involved? Are you serving? Let's all stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as we pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for allowing us to know you. The faith that you even give us, Lord, it's even your gift. You write it on our hearts. You make it very plain so we can see it as your word is shared with us. Lord, I pray that we would look at our life, look at our heart, look at our fruit. See whether we be of the faith. Examine it. Where's the fruit? Lord, if there's some that are here today that have never trusted in you as their Savior, I pray they would trust in you today. They would come and have saving faith. Lord, I pray for us as your body of believers here at Lighthouse Baptist Church here in Ludington. Lord, I pray that we would grow, mature, be more like you. 
that we would grow in our love for one another, compassion for the lost. This world would see you through us. Lord, that we would invest of our time, our talents, and our resources, our treasure, that we would trust in you to take care of us. We'd be obedient to your word by faith. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, let me ask you, do you know Christ as your Savior? There's a time you can look back in your life when you had saving faith, when you asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart to forgive you of your sins. The Word of God was opened and you understood that you were a sinner in need of a Savior. That Jesus Christ died for you and paid your sin debt. And you know that you're on your way to heaven because you've been born again. You've experienced that saving faith. If that's your testimony, would you lift your hand up high and say, yes, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. God bless me. Put your hands down. Praise the Lord. Perhaps you're here this morning. You don't have that peace. You don't know if you died this moment where you'd spend eternity. Is God speaking to your heart right now? Could I pray for you? With heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask you, does that describe you today? You don't know. You don't have peace. Where will you spend eternity? You have fear? Could I pray for you today? Would you just lift your hand up right now? Say, I don't know for sure. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. Would you just slip your hand up? Anybody like that today? Christian? Has God spoken to your heart today? Where is your faith? Where is your faith? What are you trusting in? Are you growing in your faith? You have saving faith. Yes, I'm on my way to heaven. Okay, great. Praise the Lord for that. God saved you for a purpose. God wants you to grow. Not staying right there as a babe, but growing, being involved in expanding the kingdom of God for his glory, being a witness, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, serving, giving of your time, your talent, your treasure. Are you trusting the Lord? Perhaps today you just need to say, Lord, help me with my unbelief, and then take that step of faith. Just as this man did, he trusts the Lord. He healed his son. Would you take that step of faith today? Would you say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Would you come to this altar and say, Lord, I give you my life. Lord, I want to grow. Would you offer your life? We must die to ourselves. Would you say, Lord, I want to die to myself. I want your Holy Spirit to have free reign in my life. Are you trusting in him on the job, at work? Are you trusting in him in that relationship? Are you trusting in him for those bills that you need paid? When God's word tells you to tithe, are you trusting in him? Are you serving? 
Would you just say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Lord, I'll, I'll do it. I'm going to step out by faith and be obedient to what you say to do. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want to invite you to come. If God's spoken to your heart, if you just say by faith, I trust that I will do, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to invite you to come. Give your life to the Lord. Ask God to help, perhaps to help with your unbelief. Some things are hard. That's why we need to trust in him. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thy own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Would you get involved? How are you serving? Would you seek it out? Would you pray and say, God, how can I be involved? What can I do? Is your faith growing? I heard it said many years ago, and it challenges my heart. If you're not moving forward, then you're stagnant. You're a backslidden Christian. God wants us to continue to grow. Thank you. You may be seated.